welcome to today's show, Strategic Insight Radio, brought to you by Sterling Rose Consulting Corp. Sterling Rose Consulting is a full-service business consulting firm that provides business plan creation and review, marketing plans, website design and branding, marketing implementation, process automation, accounting, custom CRM design and implementation, and business technology strategy consulting and implementation. The host of today's show is yours truly, Dave Wilkins, COO of Sterling Rose Consulting, and today's guest is Todd Bohm. Todd, Ted, I was going to do that. I knew I I had this thing about Todd and Ted in my head all day, and I said, I know I'm going to screw that up someplace, so I did it right away. No problem. It's already away. Ted Bohm is a partner in the Atlanta office of Fisher and Phillips. He represents management in a variety of labor and employment matters in state and federal courts. A significant portion of Ted's practice focuses on the defense of wage and hour claims arising under the Fair Labor Standards Act, the FLSA. too many acronyms these days. Uh, he has handled significant compensation compliance matters in proceedings before the Wage and Hour Division of the U.S. Department of Labor. In 2017, Ted was named to Georgia Trends Legal Elite for Labor and Employment Law, and previously Ted was listed in the Georgia Super Lawyers Rising Stars. Congratulations on those. That's Thank you, David. Great. You know, at one time, I thought that tax law was probably the most complicated thing out there. But I think that at this point, labor law is certainly giving it a good run for its money. It's complicated. It's complicated. Um, you're dealing with humans, and humans are complicated. And so um, the more employees you have, the you know the greater the, the potential problems that, that, that exist out there. And uh, it's... It's a minefield for employers these days trying to comply with the very empl- various employment law statutes, um, and so it's it keeps us busy. Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah, it, it's it almost seems like, and I can, I know this is probably obviously it's a, a real exaggeration, but you would think that most businesses would be say, I would much rather be without any employees to keep it simpler than than having to deal with all the complexities that uh, labor law has uh, has come into. Uh, you know, basically impose upon uh, businesses? Well, until we reach the point where uh, humans aren't needed to operate businesses, um, I think it's just the reality that... It is, that, yeah. That, oh, that, for sure. That uh, yeah. you need them. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, we, we, as we were talking before the, uh, the, the, before the show started, you, you know, you're making a very interesting point, because we were just mentioning about the uh, Fair Labor Standards Act. And... Being that that was that was actually passed back in the 1930s, we've That's obviously right. we changed a lot has changed in the uh, 80 plus years since then, uh, and and the reality is how do you how do you manage a business in in the 21st 20 you know 21st century that is uh, for laws written early in the 20th century. Well, you're exactly right. This is actually the 80th uh, anniversary of the enactment of the Fair Labor Standards Act, which is one of the uh, country's oldest employment law statutes. And it was created for a world that essentially no longer exists. Um, That was a uh, period of time where most employees went to work, 
performed all their work at a specific place within specific time parameters, and it was easier at that point in time to comply with the the FLSA's requirements. Uh, There were no such things such as laptops, smartphones, and it it is very difficult for employers in today's world to comply with the FLSA for that reason. Um, you know, d- determining when an employee is, quote, on the clock and, mm-hmm. and performing work that must comp- be compensated is, it might sound straightforward, but it's difficult in, in application. And so uh, that's an example of uh, an old employment law statute that um, it doesn't fit neatly in today's world. That's that's. I I want to come back to that because I think that there's yeah, you, clearly there are scenarios, and I can think of many times uh, in my consulting career that uh, you know getting calls or emails or whatever at all hours of the day and night, um, you know, regardless of where I was in the world, you know, having having to deal with something that uh, you know it just would be nice to be able to get a few hours of break time <laughs> right right yeah because essentially with the way it is technology is today it's seven by 24 that's right and with that and with technology and the media uh and all that i mean clearly the the issues of well i think one one clearly is out there obviously is the the whole the whole area of you know the me too movement sexual harassment other types of of uh, employer-employee relationships that, uh, you know, the, 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 the working models have changed. They have. They have. And, and, and you know, when the Me Too movement really sort of surfaced last fall, uh, it's caused a lot of employers to sort of reassess um, their policies, uh, their norms in their workplace, and, and sort of look in the mirror to make sure that, that the sorts of behaviors that led to those Me Too uh, reports weren't going on in their own workplace, and um, that's a productive exercise. Of course, uh, no employer wants to be in the news for that sort of allegation. Um, but uh, I, I, I do think that um, you know we're, we're gonna we haven't seen a, a significant spike in the number of EEOC charges mm-hmm. relating to sexual harassment claims yet, which I think a lot of people expected. Um, but more recently, the EEOC itself filed a number of lawsuits on behalf of individuals for those types of claims, sending a message that, you know, look, the commission takes that seriously, and they're going to be out there uh, addressing this. And so it's something that employers need to be mindful of, and it requires uh, vigilance and consistent training to make sure that you minimize the chances for those sorts of claims. Well, you know, if you're particularly a small business, and I think that's where a lot of people, in, in, in particularly where we focus uh, a lot of our attention, is they're not really into a lot of process. And, of course, and that's one of the things that we talk about a lot on the show is you, you need to have good, well-defined processes, procedures in place to, for all aspects of your business. And clearly, uh, having those in place for employee, em, the employment aspect of it is is critical as well what are some of the key things to be focused on to make sure that you can avoid some of the major risks well sure Uh, you want to develop um, expectations um, of what sort of behaviors are acceptable and not acceptable that can start with having employment policies in place that 
inform your employees how they can and cannot act. Uh, you you want to have reporting mechanisms in, in place so that if an employee feels as if uh, he or she has been mistreated in some way, they're free to bring that to management's uh, attention and that it will be handled properly. Um, supervisors are often going to be an employer's first line of defense, and so supervisors need to be trained um, how they should respond to issues that arise in the workplace. And, you know, sometimes these issues are complex. Uh, it can be he said, she said scenarios. It's not going to be easy. Um, but the worst course of action, you know, of course, is, is to cover up or just ignore issues when they arise. So I would say having policies and procedures in place um, and, you know, uh, periodic training and, and then, um, you know, responding promptly and appropriately to issues when they arise are the things that employers need to be mindful of. Yeah, you, you know, you, you, I think you touched on a real key point there, trying, you're not, trying to avoid the sweeping it under the, the rug as it were, hiding it. Uh, you, you, we see that in all sorts of scenarios where businesses, where some, something's gone wrong, it hits the media, they deny it, and then ultimately, no matter how, how hard they do it, ultimately comes out, here's the problem, you did something wrong, et cetera, et cetera, and then now you got to recover from it as opposed to being upfront and, and basically factual to begin with. Uh, sounds it's the same issue here. That's right. You know, they, they, the adage that the cover-up is always worse than the crime. Um, you know, res- not responding promptly to something um, can create issues in and of itself. When you have a delay in response from management, if there's been an issue, th- that can create problems, even if the underlying event itself perhaps wasn't as serious as, as you know, as initially thought. Mm-hmm. Um, there also can be an, a tendency sometimes to downplay or minimize uh, reports or complaints um, because the person who receives a complaint thinks, you know, maybe this isn't that big a deal. Uh, this is the way things have always operated here. Right. Um, or it's a complaint about a certain individual who's an important um, employee for the business. And, you know, management might have an initial inclination to sort of downplay that those types of reports because that person is so important to the business's operations. Um, but then you are stepping into inconsistent application of your policies if you make exceptions for those types of employees just because they are important to you. You know, one of the things that, as you're talking, it occurs to me that, and I think it's, this is also an opportunity for a business, uh, for an employer, to actually help the overall morale and spirit and, and cooperation within the organization if they if if it's if they really focus their effort on making sure that employees are comfortable there absolutely um, happy employees are more productive employees and when an employer can show that it is interested in and sincerely uh, wants to address any concerns and responds promptly and appropriately that increases empl- employee morale, and that um, you know helps with turnover issues and productivity issues. So it sends a very positive message that benefits the company. Yeah. So in reality, when a, an issue does come up, an employer should be looking at it as an opportunity to show how we can be more respectful and responsive to our employees as opposed to thinking this is just another uh, – pain that I have to deal with. Not only are you ensuring compliance with the law, 
um, and taking steps to address any problems, mm-hmm. but you're earning goodwill from your your workforce right. when you do it when you do that. Yeah. So that's a you know it's a very it's a positive thing, not necessarily a negative. It yeah. is Absolutely. unlike the tax law. There's no that's there's right. no positives. On I'm the still tax waiting side. to find out a positive to that. <laughs> Good. Oh, you know, and the other aspect, too, I think you, you pointed out the, the thing that you might, you know, the employer may not think that, you know, it's a big deal. You know, it's the way it's always been. You know, we're hearing a lot. In fact, the show we, uh, that I did last week, talk, we were talking with a, uh, a, a coach, a corporate coach, and talking about inter- intergenerational issues at, in the workforce. How is that you know, playing, you know, the boomers versus the millennials and so forth that, uh, that we're, we're hearing so much about and how, how hard it is to deal with millennials in the workforce. I think some of that might be a little overstated and, and perhaps not fair to millennials. I'm not a millennial, um, but I, I think that um, there can be difficulties uh, with intergenerational uh, employees within the workforce because um, they have different expectations, different experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, employers have to be sensitive to those things. What might have gone on for years uh, that certain employees are used to, other newer employees may not care for that. Right. And, 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 and they'll leave a, a business and look for a different place to work if that sort of um, atmosphere exists. And so, um, you know, employers have to constantly be striving for that happy medium. You know? Okay. What you know? What are some of those things to be focused on in terms of, say, looking for that happy medium? And and, and again, it's it's. I know obviously beyond the policies and procedures, but what are some of those telltale signs to, that you could be looking at to try and or being trying to be mindful of in order to avoid issues before they become issues? Well, I think it just it, it starts with being engaged. You know, making a concerted effort to interact with your workforce. Um, to get feedback, you know, um, and that can be having a suggestion box or just periodically checking in with individual employees um, rather than being aloof and and simply handing down orders and directives. I think the more engaged you are, um, the better, you you know, the workforce morale will be and and the less likely it it will be that you'll have problems. Okay, good. The, um, what are some of the, the common problems and pitfalls when it comes to particularly employee discipline, now, I know that's a that's a challenging area because obviously it's a matter of you know, what what are some of those issues and with the way social media is today, you know we're seeing a lot of cases where where something that's not done during working hours can have an impact upon your employment status. Sure, well, two different parts to that question, but both good questions. Um, in terms of common problems, uh, you know, one of the ones that unfortunately r- recurs with regularity is, um, you know, you've had performance issues with a certain employee. Management has canceled that employee but has not documented those issues. Mm-hmm. Then, when, of course, if the final straw occurs um, and, and management is making a decision to separate that employee or otherwise issue other discipline, um, there's not a there's not a uh, a documented file to show that this has been a recurring issue, and it makes it harder in those scenarios uh, if if a claim does develop to show that there was a legitimate, you know, non-discriminatory, non-retaliatory reason for whatever discipline was issued. And so, um, you know, not documenting uh, performance problems is is a problem we see all the time. 
Uh, another is, you know, not having consistent application or enforcement of work rules. Mm-hmm. Um, again, going back to what I talked about earlier, that leads to um, that's ripe ground for you know, disparate treatment type claims. And so, um, you know, if you have a policy, enforce it and enforce it consistently. Okay. And, w- and with respect yeah. to the social media, you know, now we have um, it's it's no longer confined to the water cooler, right? You know, employee gripes and complaints can be communicated to the world at large through social media, and so that can have a big impact on an, an employer's brand and um, and workforce morale. And so, all sorts of all sorts of thorny issues arise from employee activity on social media, and it, it's it's an area where we're still seeing an evolution of the law to respond to that, and it's difficult for employers. Yeah, so you know, get into scenarios like a behavior that may not be consistent with the uh, the the, you know, the standards and culture of the of the company. Um, but if you're doing it on your own time, what difference does it make? Well, that's right. That's right. That's sort of the expectation. But then there are, uh, you know, the law has requirements and protects. Uh, what's called concerted activity, where employees take their complaints about the terms and conditions of their work uh-huh. and discuss it over Facebook or other other forms of social media. And there's some protection in the law for that conduct uh, where where an employer might reasonably think, hey, hey he's talking badly about my, my business. This is going to hurt us. Right. Um, but there are limits on what an employer can do in those scenarios, depending on the nature of the comments that are, you know, published okay. electronically. Okay. So it, it, it all comes back to, again, having a well-defined set of process procedures that are, are defined and administered on a consistent basis. Right. And whenever you do anything, you document it. That's right. Yeah. Which is really, when you stop and think about it, these are just standard good business practices best practices best practices that apply to all aspects of business that's right good now in the area of i know there's a lot going on in the whole area of uh, wage wage and hour law um you know you're getting all the changes with uh, what's considered a, you know, a management employee and hourly versus salary and i mean it, the, the list has just gotten Really, really long. And I'll I'll throw in there a a W-2 versus a 1099 employee. Right. You know, there's a a lot of different aspects. Um, Help shed some light on on some of those areas as well, please. Sure. So these are all sort of issues that are arising under the Fair Labor Standards Act again. Mm -hmm. And um, one area in particular where we've seen a lot of activity uh, does relate to, as you're calling it, the W-2 versus 1099. And that is whether or not an individual who performs services for a business is an employee or as an independent contractor. And we have seen a spike in the number of claims from those individuals in recent years, uh, alleging that uh, they were in fact employees, even though um, they voluntarily agreed to an independent contractor relationship right. or what they thought or what the employer thought was a, an independent contractor relationship for a, a period, a long period of time in some cases. Um, and it's not always clear, you know, whether or not that that person is in fact an employee or an independent contractor. So that has become an area that is fraught with risk for employers who who rely on that sort of service. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other is what you're referring to as the um, the sort of white collar exemptions. 
Um, and that is an area that is, is in flux at the moment, let's say. Um, the Department of Labor issued some proposed regulations near the end of the, the last administration that right. significantly increased the uh, salary threshold for those sorts of uh, exempt, the executive, administrative, professional exemptions, um, and uh, more than doubled it, frankly. And, um, and then lawsuits were filed, and that change has sort of been paused, and the Department of Labor under this administration has, has announced that they will publish a new proposal at the end of this year. And so uh, we do expect to see an increase in the weekly salary threshold for this, these exemptions, which was $455 a week. Uh, we don't know yet what that new salary threshold will be, um, but it's something that employers who rely on exempt employees uh, need to be watching carefully as we move forward. Yeah, ultimately, again, it comes back to a question of how how you really run, run your business. Um, yeah, because a lot of times I th- I've seen, my experience has been with the, with the exempt employees, is, is a, it's, a, it's an opportunity to, to uh, get, get a few more hours of work out of somebody without actually having to pay them for it. Well, I, I, and I mean that's I think this, uh, you know in a very cynical way of looking yeah. at it. You know, that's there's a, I think there's a lot of people that look at the, that way. I, I think you're probably right. You know, as a defense uh, attorney, I'm going to say, of course, we classify everybody correctly as exempt. <laughs> um, but but I think that employers need to be proactive about periodically examining their exempt workforce mm-hmm. and ask themselves, you know, if they were to find themselves involved in a lawsuit or a Department of Labor investigation, uh, would they be able to show that they can satisfy the requirements for whichever exemption is out there that they are relying on? Uh, because the consequences of noncompliance are substantial. Um, these are uh, difficult lawsuits that are costly, that can hurt your reputation. No one wants to be known as the business that steals wages from employees. Um, and they can involve large classes of employees, mm-hmm. too. And so um, they can really have an impact on a business. And so it's, you know, employers are, are you know, it's, it's wh- money well spent to p- periodically look at their exempt workforce, conduct an audit, and make sure that they have their ducks in a row. Yeah, now, when it comes to that, in, in terms of, a, of an audit, what would, what would that involve? Well, it, it, it depends. There can be different types of audits. You know, uh, we do audits for clients all the time. They will ask us to come in. Um, they will show us their exempt workforce. We will look at the job duties that the uh, employees perform. We will look at how they are paid. We'll look at payroll records. And then we'll give our feedback to the clients uh, as to the strengths and weaknesses of the exemptions that are being used. There are other types of audits. Um, you can find, you know, checklists and questionnaires mm-hmm. online. Um, I'm always a little skeptical of easy answer checklists. <laughs> oh, for sure. Uh, because <clears throat> having litigated these types of cases, I can tell you it's very rarely a simple yes or no answer to these types of issues. Um, so it's, it's, it's a process, um, and, uh, it, but it's one, again, that I think is well worth employers' uh, time and effort. So it's almost like a, a risk assessment that you, could, you can do on a regular basis and, and probably could even extend it beyond just the uh, – the exempt employee status, but getting into the, the 1099 versus W-2 again is how are you administering that? How do you define what a, what those roles are? How they and how you um, manage 
you know, what's the effective way of managing people so that they're not falling into that gray area? Absolutely. It, it, it very much is a question of risk tolerance for employers because, as I say, very seldom is, is a situation where we can say with 100% certainty yes or no on whether or not an individual is exempt or not or whether they're an employee or an independent contractor. Then it's up to management to decide you know, how important is it to our business for this individual to be treated as exempt or to be treated as a contractor? Mm-hmm. How much w- risk are we re- willing to tolerate in this scenario? Because inevitably it will fall somewhere in the, in the, in the gray area spectrum. And then it's just uh, a question of risk tolerance for the business. Okay. Now, thinking about the small businesses as they grow, you know, you start, you know, you start out maybe as a sole proprietor, then you start adding a person or two to help help with the workload as the business grows and you know continues to grow and you start adding people and over a period of time all of a sudden you find yourself at 10 15 20 plus employees and the question that ultimately I'm, I think would probably come well may not even occur to a lot of a lot of folks is that uh, you know there are a bunch of laws dealing with with labor and not even knowing well they sent this is a case of not knowing what you don't know that's right that's right you know certain laws um you know don't start applying until you reach a threshold you know a number of employees uh but you know a business a, a new business mm. let's say a startup business you know well th- once they pass the 50 employee threshold after a period of time uh, they're going to be covered by the Family Medical Leave Act, for mm-hmm. example. And uh, employers may not know that. They may not realize that. They're focused on their business operations. And, and so, um, yeah, I think you're right that, 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 that smaller businesses that undergo a period of rapid growth, for example, can sort of unwittingly fa- find themselves uh, in trouble um, you know, by not having built-in policies and, and procedures that are required for certain laws as they do grow. Okay. Now, as a small business owner, how would I even know where to go to start looking to find out what uh, you know what what I need to be concerned about? Well, this is where I tell you that you need to go talk to an employment lawyer. There right? you go. That's right. <laughs> uh, they will be your partner. The employment law- your employment lawyer will be your partner as you grow, and will help. Um, help you implement those policies and procedures that, that are needed depending on the nature of your business, the size of your business, uh, what your business does, where your business is located. You know, there is a patchwork of employment laws across this country. Um, of course, there's federal laws that apply everywhere, but, you know, states have different laws. Uh, now we're seeing an, a dramatic increase in the number of sort of city-specific mm-hmm. laws. And so uh, as, as businesses grow and establish locations in other jurisdictions, other states, they may not realize that there are a new set of laws they need to be concerned with. And so, um, yeah, I'll give a plug to uh, you know, talking to your employment lawyer. Yeah, well, it, it really does. And, again, this is not – it really is consistent with a lot of the, what we've talked about in the past is, is the fact that as a small business owner you have to – realize you need to have a team of professionals to and advisors to work with you because obviously you you as a business owner can't know everything and if you did know everything then you're probably in the wrong business um but you you you, yeah the the legal the accounting um 
and other you know, marketing and all the other other aspects of the business that may be beyond your skill set, uh, you know, you need to have a good a good team uh, to work with. That's right. And you know, for for the the smaller businesses, the consequences of, of an employment law claim uh, or a government investigation can be substantial. And, for example, well, for example, an immigration issue, mm-hmm. you know. Um, uh, a wage hour compliance issue. I mean, that the FLSA, for example, applies to very small businesses. It's not just triggered once you hit 15 employees or something like that. Okay. Um, so there can be substantial consequences to a, a small business's bottom line. In terms of, yeah, in terms of fee or fines, fines and penalties. Fines, fees, damages, um, criminal uh, violations for certain immigration issues. I mean, there, there are s- serious issues. Okay. So it's yeah. This is something you can't ignore, and you got to take seriously because it can affect you, affect your your livelihood just as much as uh, um, probably uh, tax evasion could, for example. Exactly right. Yeah. So the, so it's again. Yeah. <laughs> but <clears throat> going back to I think one of the key points we talked about early on is the fact that by recognizing the benefits <clears throat> of compliance. And, and putting in, in place a healthy uh, employee-employer relationship uh, stru- structure, if you will, can actually be very beneficial and can actually attract good employees to your company. That's right. Yeah, I, I think there's a tendency, myself included, I'm sure, to for, for lawyers to sort of focus on the, the worst-case scenario. <clears throat> um, but, you know— Compliance has its benefits in other areas, not just mm-hmm. risk avoidance, but it, it can it can substantially help your business, making it a more attractive place to work for other individuals, making it a more productive workforce, things things like that. Great. Well, good. Now, real real quick, in terms of the wage and hour area, what are some of the real issues that and problems that we have uh, we may not have talked about? Well, sort of going back to what we talked about earlier about this being a difficult law for employers to um, comply with in today's world, uh, we see a lot of claims for uh, off-the-clock work where a non-exempt employee uh, who's typically paid an hour but doesn't have to be paid on an hourly basis, Mm -hmm. uh, where they are performing work that that isn't being recorded by the employer. And uh, it's the employer's obligation and duty under the law to accurately record any work that is performed that they benefit from. And so we see a lot of claims nowadays from employees who claim, you know, I did work, I did pre-shift work, I did post-shift work, uh, I responded to emails from home at, at home from my employer, but I wasn't paid for that work. And really I should have been paid overtime because I was working more than 40 hours in a work week. Um, so, so ensuring that, you know, management is on the lookout for any sort of work that is off the clock mm-hmm. is is very important. Um, that's one example. Um, another example is um, that the exemption issue we talked about earlier. You know, um, lots of exemption issues become sort of inherited problems. You know, an employee was hired into one position and maybe performed quote exempt work at a certain period of time. But things change over time. Work can evolve away from an exemption or towards an exemption, too. Um, but, but where management doesn't periodically check to see, well, are they still performing the, uh, the right types of job duties to satisfy an exemption? 
um, then you have an, a situation where uh, they've allowed an exemption problem to occur uh, based on sort of just the passage of time and changes in the work that is being performed by these individuals. Yeah, kind of ben- benign neglect, as it were. Exactly right. Yeah. Exactly. And, then, and that's particularly problematic where you have turnover at the higher level because um, they're not familiar with what was being done in the past, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. Anytime you have transitions, there's always risks that that they get introduced. That's right. Well, this is real interesting, Ted, and I'm sure there's a lot more we can talk about. But I wanted to – I think uh, this is enough to certainly get people starting to think about uh, that they – you know, if if you don't know what you're doing as far as your labor laws are concerned and how you're working with your employees, then this is a good time to start thinking about that and getting involved. And uh, what would, and obviously, if you're looking to find a good uh, labor lawyer, uh, you, know, you know, certainly coming to uh, Fisher and Phillips would be a great place to get started. And Ted, how would uh, how would somebody interested in getting to know more about uh, you and, and your firm uh, contact you? Well, we're on the internet, of course, FisherPhillips.com. Uh, we're headquartered here in Atlanta. Uh, we work with employers uh, of all sizes and across the industry spectrum and um, any business out there who is interested in, in getting some labor and employment law assistance, we would be happy to assist them. Um, you know, so they can reach out to me. They can reach out to our firm. Uh, I don't know if you're asking for my phone number. Or well, if you want to give it, we, we take, sure. Sure. Yeah, it's, ab- it's, absolutely. Sure. 404-240-4286. Uh, but we're on the internet, and so uh, we we are a national law firm, but we're headquartered here in Atlanta, and uh, we'd be happy to to work with anyone who needs assistance. Well, great, well, great, and, and thank you, Ted. It's been a real pleasure having you on the show. It's been a real interesting conversation. I think there's uh, hopefully our audience learned a little bit more about uh, the intricacies of labor law and uh, how it can't it can be a benefit as well as as a, just a strict compliance issue. So that's that's good. This has been Strategic Insight Radio on Business Radio X. To find out more about Ted Bohm and uh, Fisher Phillips uh, or Sterling Rose Consulting, you can contact Sterling Rose Consulting at 678-996-1312 or visit sterlingroseconsultingcorp.com. This is Dave Wilkins, and until next time, take care. Bye. (laughs) 